every time I come, there's, there's different faces. And uh, it's good to see the ones that are usually here, like Brian. It, it wouldn't be the same without Brian here. Um, what should we do? No, I'll, I'll leave praying till the end. Right, I can see the clock. I want to share with you, feel, I feel on my heart to share what I think is quite an unusual uh, moment in, in the life of, of Jesus and his earthly story. But having said that, almost every part of Jesus' earthly life is unusual, isn't it? it it's, well, it's spectacularly unusual, but this one just sort of stands out to me um, as unusual amongst the unusual. And that's where we have the story of Jesus stilling the storm. So you can turn in your Bibles to Mark 4. Um, and while this storm is going on, Jesus is fast asleep with his, his head on a cushion. Uh, you know, it's a great story. The, I've actually had the privilege of, um, with, with Trish, uh, a couple of years ago, we went to Israel and uh, we, we saw the lovely Lake of Galilee. And uh, it's, it's uh, a lake situated in a basin which uh, apparently can lend itself to furious squalls coming down and boiling away and entrapped by the mountains. Um, but we're going to read from chapter 4, verse 35, if you'd like to follow. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he, that's he being Jesus, said to them, said to his disciples, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Then a great gale arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And this, this I find incredible. He, then he says to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith, no trust? And they were filled with great awe, which is a religious way of saying scared stiff. And they said to one another, who, you can imagine the, the hushed whispers sort of behind hands, you know, who, who is this? You know, we've been with him all this while, but who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And, uh, and then immediately, passing on, it says, they came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. <laughs> Never a dull moment in the life of Jesus. When Jesus invited you to follow him, you really didn't know what you were letting yourself in for, did you? So we begin under the heading, let, let's, let's cross to the other side. It begins very, very simply. I can cope with this bit very easily. It all begins well enough. It's the, the gentle promise of a pleasant interlude. They just left the crowds and all the demands of ministry and all that went with it. And there was this pleasant interlude on a lake, a nice boat trip. And, uh, and Jesus had said to them, he'd given them clear intent. They were in the will of God. Let's cross to the other side. And uh, Jesus was in the boat. What more could you ask for? Perfect. 
perfect situation. And, uh, but if I could just interject a question here before we go on, just to sort of land it a little bit personally for us so, so we can sort of walk through this story, perhaps involving ourselves a little bit. In terms of you, I'm particularly thinking of you as a, a company of God's people, an exciting company of God's people, really feel God stirring in the midst this morning being with you, uh, very energizing and faith building. But for you, or for you as an individual or as a family, what do you feel is next for you? You know, if we were to say, we'll cross to the other side, what in the, in the near to immediate future, what, what is God laying on your heart? What, what is it, the, the dream that you've got, the, the God-given ambition, desire, what is it that's laying before you? I just ask that question. Where, where are you pointing your boat? Then rowing back again, oh, that's quite appropriate. <clears throat> um, they were just left the shore and they were aiming for another shore. And I want to make this point that there's a period between the now and the next step which can often be quite challenging. I wonder if any of you know what I'm on about. That there's, there's a sort of, thank you, that there's sometimes you, you're sort of between the times, I would describe it as. Yeah, some of you are nodding. Um, and I want to tell you that you can find that throughout Scripture. It's a very, very important time. And yet it feels often like a twiddling your thumbs, frustrating, perplexing time, which often is full of things that don't add up properly and, and uh, confusing and don't seem to fit the agenda or to be working out the way you feel they should be working out. If you're going here, why is all this happening over there? And this is a classic example of that, wouldn't you agree? Um, but I want to say it's the place where God's preparing our faith life. It's the place where God's preparing our faith life because the lesson we learn in that perplexing time is essential for what happens when you step on the shore. And in this case, a, a demoniac comes out of the bushes at you. Would you find that unsettling? It would, it would unsettle me. And especially, I, 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 if time permitted, I, I would have gone on to talk more about what happened the other side because it's quite a story. But you're probably aware of it. But it's, he was naked. And in fact, one of the Gospels says there was two of them. But there's a highlight here in this Gospel on one of them. That it is a naked, raving, chain-busting lunatic. Okay, you know, if you've, I, I've never watched a zombie film. I think it's a pretty stupid idea. But you know, those of you who like zombie films, it, it must be just really unsettling. You've just had a near-death experience. You get out the boat thinking, Whew, day in the life with Jesus. And suddenly out the bushes comes a naked, raving lunatic. And uh, he, he's screaming at them. And uh, it says that he, they tried to chain this guy in the area where he lived, but he'd break every chain. He was unrestrainable. Um, and uh, when Jesus asked him what his name was, the demon answered and said, my name is Legion because there are many of us. That, again, would be doubly off-putting, wouldn't it? And then especially if you know that Legion was a, an army of about 6,000 soldiers. <laughs> No, there must have been a lot of pigs that day that went off the cliff, if you know the end of the story. Um, and that was waiting for them on the shore. That's a big-time challenge, isn't it? And uh, here, here's my larger point. The, the greater the breakthrough that's coming to you, and you know, my heart and desire standing here this morning is, is very humbly to, to, to believe for you and with you that you're going to experience 
tremendous breakthrough in these coming months and years that, that God's going to really blow among you and do great things. Isn't that what you want? Seeing people saved. I was really thrilled to hear these stories. You, some amazing girls in the midst doing some amazing things, Catherine and, and uh, is it Abigail? Nikki, Nikki, I, I'm, I'm rubbish at names. <laughs> and, uh, but the greater the breakthrough that's coming, the more spiritual opposition you will experience before you get there. And, and that's actually a great encouragement. So if, if there are those here who are feeling the challenge, it may be no one, but if there's some here feeling a challenge, it could be that you're very, very close to a, a breakthrough. So hold on. Jesus is with you in the boat. Make no mistake, though, the storms that are sent are intended by the evil one to stop us because he doesn't want us getting hold of the breakthrough. Now, speaking personally, I've got 100% trust in God. And then I have to add the honest bit, you know, when things are going well. In this instance, um, you've got uh, at least four of the 12 who were in the boat were, were seasoned fishermen. And this, this lake was, was their world. I was, I was reflecting on it. This was their, if you like, their comfort zone. Jesus, you've done your ministry on the shore. Now, over to us. Get in the boat. This is our bit. You know, get in the boat. We're the seasoned fishermen. This was our livelihood. It's how we earned a living. We know every fish in the lake. Every, every bit of it. We just know it. It's part of us. But this, this area of great familiarity, uh, actually, it turned on them. It actually, apart from what Jesus did, it would have killed them. So, you know, make no mistake, this, this is a serious incident. This is, you know, it's not just a nice fluffy story. These guys should have died and drowned. Um, but this, this lake, it turned on them and... I wonder if any of you have ever experienced something even remotely like that. I don't mean probably in a boat. But when familiar things, familiar faces, things that, you know, it could be a job that you've enjoyed for years or something like that, you know, it's just been there and, and suddenly events turn on you from that source. How, how, how scary that can be. Some of you, no doubt, will, will know what I'm on about. And... Uh, when the familiar becomes a threat, um, and it's particularly painful when it comes from a source, you know, it, it's the area where you get your sense of well-being, the, the sense of security, where I get my sense of worth, you know, I'm a fisherman. This is, this is my, and suddenly I'm, I'm screaming for help, you know. This is an ex extreme example, and we may have it only experience something on a softer end of it, but some of you will know what I'm on about. Because the howling wind of life, it can come out of nowhere sometimes. Just without warning, it can, it can you know, you wake up one day and it's like no other day, the howling wind of life just comes bursting in and suddenly you're, you're surrounded by ominous waves. Trish and I have just had the privilege of being on a, a, a a cruise, which is which is fantastic, and but there was one day <laughs> when the, the the sea was decidedly choppy. You know, about the only safe thing you could do was lay on your bed. You know, everything was was going, and when you looked over the side of the boat, those waves didn't look like they would take any prisoners. 
It's a scary thing, isn't it? A storm. The boat starts to, to rock precariously. This is it's, you know, a relatively small boat they're in. The, the voice is getting raised. You can imagine it. The sky suddenly has turned pitch black all around them. They can't even see the other side, let alone hope to get there. And then uh, the crunch is that it says the waves started to enter the boat. They were starting to get swamped. So, so it was genuinely terrifying. In life, fear, I think, if you think of fear as a wedge, on the thin end, you can call it niggling doubt. <laughs> that that uh, in our Christian life, you can experience things and you can have niggling doubt about things. I think on the fat end of the wedge, it, you come to a place called despair. That's the place where you've lost all hope of, uh, of a, a good outcome. And the disciples went for niggling doubt from the first bump and whatever and jostle of the boat. By the time this story got into the thick of it, they had lost all hope. It was darkness and, and they, they were kaput. And uh, sometimes God allows things like that in our lives for a reason. So where was God? Where was God? Well, I marvel at this because I don't know if you're a deep sleeper. Are you a deep sleeper? You're a light sleeper? Now, some people can wake up if a, a dust moat lands on their nose and other people can sleep through earthquakes. Well, Jesus must have been absolutely exhausted, mustn't he? He, he, he must have poured himself out in ministry because this was a life-threatening storm. He was in a boat being bobbed around like an insane cork and he was fast asleep. I, I find that at so many levels really incredible and it's as as mad as anything else Jesus ever did, and nestled on a pillow. I mean, that wouldn't, that wouldn't bless me if I was one of the disciples. I looked, I looked to my hero, the one who, you know, is mentoring me, and, and at my hour of greatest need, he's probably softly snoring if I could hear it. He's, he's I mean, you know, I have a lot of sympathy with the disciples so often, you know, in the stories, so much. I think, oh, you know, and then, um, but, but applying that to our life, actually, at least they could see Jesus physically in the boat. Cool, what I would give to have a physical sight of Jesus, I tell you what, I would be a very different man before you now and every day if I could physically see Jesus with me, because he is with me by the Holy Spirit and he's with you, isn't he? But if I could see him, can you imagine? I'd be, you know, I'd be 10 foot tall and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> show me any dead body. Let me, I'll raise it up, you know, Jesus. But we don't, we can't even see him in the boat. And so we live in a, in a sense, it's almost worse than the sort of sense that Jesus is in the boat, but he's asleep. We can't even see him. So the, the, the necessity for us to learn to trust that this Jesus is on our case is really, really big one, isn't it? He really, really is on our case and he's in the boat with us and can make a change in the here and now. Amen? I mean, Jesus had left them in charge just for an hour or two. He'd gone off duty, as it were, just for an hour or two. They didn't cope very well, did they? In an hour, <laughs> they were in danger of their lives and, and screaming for help. And uh, 
the time was going to be coming upon them relatively shortly when actually he was going to leave them all together and remain by the Holy Spirit, but he was going to return to his Father in heaven. So this was like a little training moment for them, what life could be like without him physically present. <laughs> Which we, we, that's where we are, isn't it? So this lesson is for us, isn't it? It's for us. So what was the disciples' response? Well, we know. They, they, they woke Jesus up. They, they, you can sort of visualize that. They must have roughly shook him, looked him in the face, and, and they really would have to raise their voices over the storm, waves sloshing into their faces. And, and do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? <laughs> it was an incredible thing to say to Jesus. Do you not care that we are perishing? And, and uh, Jesus woke up, and instead of shared panic, which would have been my response if it was me being woken up into that situation, you know, why are you afraid? <laughs> it's, it's, there's so many moments like that in the, in the, in the Bible, which I think, I can tell you why I'm afraid. You know, and it's like when Jesus had ascended into heaven and it says the disciples were, were looking up into the sky in, in I think it's Acts, isn't it? And, and an angel turns up, as they tend to, and says, why are you looking up into the sky? <laughs> I can tell you why I'm looking up into the sky. I've just seen Jesus float up into glory before my eyes. And you ask me, why are you looking up into the sky? Why are you afraid I, I, I often go to Jesus for comfort and reassurance. I mean, often, <laughs> you know, my, my most common prayer is sort of, help. Um, but he often doesn't come back, have you noticed, with soothing words. Tea and sympathy doesn't come with Jesus very often. I like tea and sympathy, don't you? I'm an Englishman. Cup of tea and sympathy, that, that'll put me in good stead. Jesus rebuked their lack of faith. Have you still, after all you've been with me, all we've experienced together, have you still not got your own trust? You're in my slipstream. You're, you're seeing what trust can do in the Father. I, I, Jesus walks in incredible trust. And you know, he's modelled it. He's, he's shown them what can happen if we, if we trust him, if we believe in him. And he's, what about you guys? You know, I, I left you in charge for just an hour. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps he felt they could have dealt with the storm themselves. Perhaps they had the authority and they were sort of, you know, it's a thought, isn't it? Maybe some of the things we pray for, Jesus is, is looking at us and thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll answer your prayer. But couldn't you have spoken the word of authority? Just wonder. I mean, join the club. We're all, we all do this, don't we? Um, and I think this is the crucial lesson of the story, at least, least wise it is for me. Do we trust God with our lives? And, and I, I'm, I've really been preaching this to my own heart, which is what you're meant to do anyway. Do we trust, do I trust, do we trust God with, with the, our lives, the, the small detail, the big detail? Do we really believe he's on our case the fact we can't see him physically, and sometimes, sometimes we can feel him, can't we? 
in the worship this morning, didn't you feel God? I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm full of the Holy Spirit, so it's not unusual to say I felt him. The, the, you know, and as the worship, you know, particularly I find when faith rises, you know, the sense of God's presence, he's here all the time, but I'm only to varying degrees aware of it. What, what it must have been like to be in Jesus' heart with the fellowship of God. I wonder whether the Mount of Transfiguration was just like a window into his sort of daily quiet time. <laughs> you know, he took some others into his quiet time. You know, oh, my word. Do we trust God with our lives even when he seems to be asleep in the stern of the boat? And at times when everything seems to be going wrong, as I said to you, I find it easy to trust God 100% when things are going well. But what happens when they're not going so well? Do I trust God that he is still as much on the case as he seemed to be when things were going well? And, and sometimes I need God to bail me out, again, good pun in the story, because of my own stupidity. But we're not even talking about... I mean, if I'm being stupid and I'm not walking in accordance with Scripture, you can expect me to get into a hole, can't you? But these guys, would, this was their, they were doing their very best fisherman efforts to stay alive. And sometimes we can be doing all that we know and the storm comes and the wheels fall off and I'm mixing all my metaphors up now. That everything basically goes pear-shaped. And there's another one. <laughs> Legs up, whatever it was you want to say. You know, do I trust him then? And that's what I feel the Holy Spirit's been saying to me. I feel like Jesus has been looking me in the eye and saying, but do you trust me then? Under the heading, the rest of faith, um, within Jesus' heart, there was a great calm. They woke him up into this life-threatening storm and Jesus' heart, I don't think, missed a beat. There wasn't a surge of adrenaline. He just looked with a bit of sadness and disappointment, I think. There was a great calm in the heart of the Saviour. And I want to suggest that calm followed him through life. The Bible calls it peace. And that's why he could calm this storm. Because he carried this, this peace. And if you read the Gospels through, which I know you do, how often he would, his greeting would be, peace, my peace, I give my peace to you, peace. After the resurrection, when he turned up and scared his disciples almost witless, his first word, peace. He just scared them to death and goes, peace. Just, he had peace to give. He didn't just say, I, I say things like, oh, bless you. When Jesus said, bless you, something's going to happen. When Jesus said, peace, something would happen. You'd receive a deposit. We can do that as well, actually. He, he had a, a great calm in his heart because that's what faith feels like. If, got, if you want to say, what does faith feel like? It feels like peace. What does it feel like emotionally? It just feels like it's okay. You know, God's got it. Yeah, I'm getting soaked. The boat's rocking. God's got it. Anxiety or fear is what unbelief feels like. Jesus' Jesus' trust in the Father was unshakable. It was unquestioning. And for us, I believe it's a choice. 
I think sometimes I've got to choose to trust him because my emotions are trying to demand that I don't because I'm feeling afraid. And I, do, I sometimes say to Father, I, I feel afraid, but I've got to choose to trust. I can't see him. I can't touch him. Sometimes I can't hear him. I've got to choose to trust that he is with me even if his head is asleep on the pillow. Now, there was a storm coming one day which would take Jesus out where he volunteered himself to the cross. And it, that was the price that was paid for the forgiveness of our sins. And, but this wasn't that storm. And until that storm came, Jesus was invincible, he was impregnable, and he knew it. The storm which shook the disciples' faith to tiny pieces only served to rock Jesus to sleep. <laughs> He's my hero. Jesus trusted the Father with his own life, with his disciples' lives. He committed them to his Father in prayer, and he knew the Father heard him, and he could go to sleep and sleep like a baby. And he, he entrusted the lives of those who were in the boats that were accompanying them as well. They were safe. He was doing his work with his head asleep on a pillow. He hadn't abdicated. And if we've committed something to the Lord in prayer, you could argue, couldn't you, it's no longer your business. Cast your cares on the Lord, because he cares for you. So if you've committed something to the Lord, it's no longer your business, really, is it? It's like the will of God for my life, really. It's none of my business. <laughs> so under the heading of divine authority, he woke up and he rebuked the wind, and he, he said to the sea, peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a, a dead calm. Year, some years ago, I was doing some work in my back garden, and... I'd bitten off far more than I can chew, as Trish would tell you, and I, 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 I was busting a gut to try and get all this work done. Um, and I was putting up, at this stage, some concrete fence posts, and I was m mixing up cement, which is, by my standards, jolly hard work, you know, mixing concrete up, actually concrete. And uh, it started to rain, and within a short time, the sky went black as night, and it was a monsoon. It was... It, w it became horrendous, it, you know, and, and it, my, my, my concrete was starting to look like, like th thin gravy. And, and I, I was slippering and slathering around in the garden, soaked through. And uh, w I, I, I just tell you truthfully what happened. I, I thought, I've got to get this done. And, and I stood up in my garden, because no, you weren't there to see me and think I looked stupid, and I just commanded it to stop and to go. And if I'm honest, to my amazement, it did. <laughs> it, within, within, it almost like, like a switch was turned. It wasn't like half an hour later. I mean, it was black as night everywhere. It was just colossal. And, and I rebuked it. In the name of Jesus, you know, so, I'm, I'm, you nasty storm, go away. And, and, and it stopped. And, and within minutes, the sky was clear. It was, uh, uh, perhaps God gave me that experience for this sermon this morning, just as a, you know. But this, this weather system that they hit in the boat, it was no ordinary weather system. I believe it was sent by the evil one. 
because he knew that the other side of the lake, there was a demoniac who, who needed delivering. You see, it was, it was, the world is more spiritual than we give credit. We don't focus on the evil one, but we need to be aware. Our focus is on Jesus in whom we put our trust, whose head's on the pillow. When, when Legion was set free from however many demons he carried, I believe that brought freedom to their geography, that that region came into freedom. You know, it was, it was a bigger deal than just Legion. That whole area, I believe, was in spiritual lockdown because of the oppression that was just gathered around this, this poor, t tormented man. And when he was set free, the gospel could start to operate. And we know it did because the guy who got set free started to tell people about what Jesus had done. It, it brought liberty to a geographical area. And again, you know, so when the storm hits, you've got to think not of the storm, but what is the other side of the lake? Because that's what matters. And in, just in, in closing, how maddening and disappointing. Because the demons were terrified. They saw him coming. They were scared stiff when Jesus stepped on the beach. They were scared stiff. Because they knew what authority he had. And they were begging him, please don't torment us. <laughs> Which was a bit of a cheek. They'd been tormenting this man for years. Uh, and... But how, how frustrating, desperately frustrating for the, the powers of darkness when they were trying with all their might to stop Jesus crossing the lake and all they could see was Jesus fast asleep on the pillow. And I couldn't help, forgive me, feeling, think remembering Catherine Tate. Any of you remember Catherine Tate? Am I bothered, devil? <laughs> That's what came to my mind. Look at my face. Bothered face? Is my face bothered? Am I bothered? <laughs> Jesus was not bothered. He was not bothered. Because Jesus is seated asleep on the pillow. But I tell you what, he's not asleep on a pillow now, but he is seated at the right hand of the Father this morning. Which means his work is done. That we've been, he has brought the freedom. We're not trying to fight for a freedom. We're seeking to enter into the freedom. He's already won. That's why we're more than conquerors, because the, the battle has already happened. We're more than conquerors. He, and and what, what is also wonderful is that it says we are seated in him. We're seated with him. We're seated in Christ in heavenly places. Why are you seated? It's because you don't have to do diddly squat to get to heaven. Because <laughs> you're in heaven, seated with Jesus, because guess what? What he did on the cross when he faced that storm down for us. And when he said, he rebuked sin, rebuked death, rebuked the devil permanently and terminally. Now you're now to get excited at that point. Because Jesus is fantastic, isn't he? We ought to close. Let's, can, can I invite you to stand? And we'll just pray. You can trust him with your life. You can. You can really trust him, and it's a choice. You can prove him. And it's not just he's going to do wonderful things when you get to glory. It, he wants to make a difference now. It, it takes more faith to live than to die. It takes more faith to, to speak to the storm sometimes than to drown. So I, I'll just pray a simple prayer, but you'll, you'll go on. And Father in heaven...
Would you forgive my, would you forgive our unbelief at times? For the times when we, we cry out to you and say, don't you care? Aren't you concerned? And Father, you know every, every life, you know what's over this church, the promises that hang over this church, the promises from God. And over individual lives and families here this morning, and you're also aware, Father, of every storm that the enemy would seek to bring against us because we're in this together. And I want to speak in the name of Jesus to every demonic storm affecting any life here this morning and just say, in Jesus' name, be muzzled. To every lying spirit, every oppressive spirit that brings misunderstanding, fear, and failure, in the name of Jesus, be muzzled when we speak peace to every heart. We speak peace to every heart. In Jesus' name. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just say, receive his peace.